Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy! Hello and welcome back to another episode of Faking Injuries. Here at Faking Injuries, the mission's the same. We've got to be the bright light ushering forth the preeminence of European football to the American sporting culture. Today's episode, Charlie, you've got something to get off your chest that relates to your fandom in English soccer. You haven't given me a ton of preview here. Can you share with me, and more importantly, the listeners, what we're going to be discussing today? Because from all indications, it seems to be weighing heavily on you. It's weighing very heavily on me. If you can't tell, Noah, I've been thinking about this all week, have been able to get off my mind. So I'm really looking for your help today, more, first and foremost, to be my shaman taking me through this experience. I've come to a revelation. I need a new club. <laughs> I need to be done with Chelsea, and I need a new club. Now, let me give you some background here, because... It's not just the fair weather thing. There's other reasons behind this, but... Yeah, this sounds very plastic off the top. Let's hear what redeeming qualities there are. We're definitely plastic, that's for sure. But I will be trying to move to London at some point in the next one to two years, and I feel like I just need a new club to support. I don't want to be that American that shows up to England like, oh yeah, like... I love Chelsea. (laughs) (laughs) I love Manchester United. (laughs) Yeah, man, he was the best. Like, that guy sucks. And I'm going to a city where I'm not going to know anyone. I want to get integrated with the culture. Maybe buy season tickets and, uh, you know, make some friends that way. I can't be doing that at a touristy Stamford Bridge where nobody's a local and it's like all the shops around it are built just to, like, funnel money into the club. From everything I've heard, it ranks like the worst in terms of atmosphere of plastic fans, just international visitors, rich guys, not a lot of passionate hooligan lads. No, that's great for the balance sheet, a lot of cash coming in because those foreign fans do spend a lot, but not what we're looking for. We have enough of those clubs and franchises in America. You got to do England right. Yep. So that was the first aspect of my realization. The second aspect was just The fact that my love for Chelsea as a club and the fan base as a whole has just been diminishing over the last year. I mean, I've known for a while the fans of Chelsea are pretty not great, especially online. So that's the second aspect. My love has been diminishing. I I felt it. It's like uh, when you're in a relationship and you can feel things are starting to fade and you know it's not going to work out in the end. We've all been through something like that. And I have that gut feeling right now. The third aspect is... I'm not going to live in West London, most likely. West London is known, if you heard of like Kensington, Hyde Park, Chelsea, these are known as like uber affluent areas, the type of place like a Gold Coast where you're walking down Viagra Triangle and you're seeing Porsche 911s and Audi R8s and old guys who took a few too many Viagras yeah, last Todd night. Todd Bowley just bricked up outside yeah, the bridge. You see a lot of Todd Bowleys outside of in that area as a whole. I personally don't plan on living in West London. I don't plan on living in North London. It's a little too outside of the city for me. So it's really South or East London for me. Okay. So you want your men on the generic Viagras? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Can't afford the brand names. No, Got it. no, no. So that's the third aspect is I'm not going to live anywhere near it. All the neighborhoods I'm looking at, Southeast London, I want somewhere near there that I can support, that I won't feel like a totally fake fan, and that I can fall in love with again, because I don't really have a team I'm in love with at the moment. With all that said, I I desperately need your help, because 
I'll be honest, I, I've narrowed it down to three clubs from the championship down to the National League that would be awesome to support. National League? Or, sorry, League Two. Okay, might as well be the same thing. But the I just want to check what I had here. Got yep, it. Yeah, so championship down to, uh, to League Two. So not any Prem clubs yet, at least. I don't know. I feel like all of them would be awesome to support, but I'm, I'm genuinely coming in undecided, and I think this is a good spot where we can figure it out and then hopefully get me, you know, a year or two from now I can get some season tickets and have you come visit. I love it. And you'll know this already, but it's not going to be my first time being a shaman. And in the range of experiences that I've had, an open mind is is very important if we're going to have some transcendent insights gleaned today. And you have that. You've got the beginner's mindset. You've shed some of the superficiality of your Chelsea fandom. This is going to be your club for life. Maybe. (laughs) Before we get in those new clubs, though, how are we going to make this a clean cut? Because I'll be honest, me, our listeners, we're worried that if times are tough, you might revert back. Is there anything you're going to do symbolically to really signify the end of the Chelsea era? I had one thing in mind. So I kind of have a, um, you know, you have a short list of clubs you like to watch consistently week in, week out. And I also personally have a shit list of clubs I will never watch. Teams like Everton, I don't want to waste any time on a Saturday or Sunday watching an Everton game. Understood. Maybe I'll catch a half if they're playing like one of the best teams in the league, like an Arsenal. But even that, I'm not that interested. Yeah, we're probably screening the first half to see if it's still worth watching the second. And Chelsea have kind of become that. And they have become that for me. You know, I think that's just got to be it. I got to unfollow them on all foot mob. No players from the Chelsea or Chelsea Academy. Just any roots of Chelsea can be anywhere near my foot mob shortlist. And they're just going to be games I avoid now. Okay. Don't even watch. I I think that's the first step. Well, great, Charlie. I'm really happy to share this experience with you. Honestly, I think it's brave of you. While this might seem like heresy at first glance, and in another century you might have been burned at the stake, this is, ironically, when you peel back the onion, one of the most English things you can do because you're ditching the uh, high-class financial super league that the Premier League essentially is and Chelsea occupying one of the preeminent roles. But you're moving down the pyramid, getting some dirt up underneath those fingernails in the football league, and I'm excited for you. So let's get into it. Do you want to start maybe revealing who those clubs are at a high level and we can get into it? Yeah, so there's three clubs I've put into consideration. We have Millwall, who currently sit fifth in the championship. So real possibility promotion for them. They're a South London club. We have Leighton Orient, who are in League Two right now, top of the league in League Two. And then we also have Charlton Athletic, also Southeast London club, and they're in League One, middle of the pack right now. So probably not getting promoted or relegated. For some of our listeners who aren't as big of uh, English football aficionados as us, there's a Premier League right at the very top, and then the next three leagues are considered like one organization, the Football League, so two, three, and four. The second is the Championship. That's where everyone spends like crazy to try to get that status as a Premier League club. And then League One, I know confusing, that's the third division. This is very important, and League by the way. Two <laughs> is in the fourth. So your clubs are across the second, third, and fourth divisions. Correct. One from each. One more thing before we move on on the uh, league system, because it's very confusing to Americans. The Championship and League One, you know, these are the second and third divisions. These aren't like the minor leagues in baseball, right? Like not even close. These are 
top quality players that, especially in the championship, that could make it in a lot of professional leagues in any other country. Well, I think we shouldn't be worried about going too short on this episode, considering how long that preamble of a background was. <laughs> but let's get into it. First club that we're going to preview, Millwall. You've done the majority of this research. Again, I'm just a consultant here. Tell me about what attracts you with Millwall FC. Yeah, so Millwall is located in Bermondsey, which is a super cool neighborhood in Southeast London, like one of the more ideal ones to live in. Bunch of young people. They got all these outdoor pubs. It's a place I would live in if I was or even wasn't a Millwall fan, right? Objectively, a cool place to live. I think the club can be summed up by their famous chant, no one likes us, no one likes us, no one likes us, we don't care. <laughs> we are Millwall, super Millwall, we are Millwall from the den. I'll put a little more of a British accent on it when I'm actually at the stadium singing that, but you get the gist. This is one of the most hated clubs in England up there with Leeds United and maybe Manchester United. I mean, at first glance, what a chant. Seems like the third no one likes us is just a little extra, but... What great self-awareness. In the little research I did around how well-hated Millwall is, they apparently ranked 8 out of 92 for clubs with most rivals. I think that, further down the line, it would be a great list for us to explore. Because not even a top club with a huge billionaire owner, but they've still got haters on all sides. And they kind of like it that way. So in my mind, that's a plus. Going from Chelsea hated for very different reasons to just this agrarian, industrious, working class hatred. Yeah, I think it's it's hated just for being like a tough place to go and play. And like, I think if you're an opposition fan, you have like a miserable time when you're there because the atmosphere is apparently insane. From what I've read, like the most hooligan, wild type of place of, of the three on this list. Another thing I saw from my cursory glance at the club's Wikipedia page, they have a song, an official one called Let Em Come. And specifically made for them. And the lyrics apparently represent old London culture. Not even paraphrasing here. Such as eating jellied eels and having a glass of beer before the game. Are you prepared to eat jellied eels? Because these apparently are going to be a delicacy in this neighborhood that you're living in. No more ramen. It's jellied eels on a Friday night after beers. Am I the only one lost here? Do you know what jellied eels are? I did a quick look. Uh... Looks about how it would sound. I think not fermented, but okay. slicing up some eels, throwing some salt in there, and thanking God you still have like half of your teeth because you're a hardworking docker. Huh. Okay. I mean... <laughs> no look, soy sauce. Look, I, I like eel sushi, so maybe if I can bring a little pocket soy. <laughs> no, they do not do soy in Bermondsey. I can promise you that. What else appeals about this club or any more background you want to provide? Yeah, just quickly on the squad. It's definitely an older squad, you know, average age of 27. I think they have a bit more of a defensive style of play, but they do have a couple extraordinarily exciting players. One, Zion Fleming. Have you heard of this guy? He's been making some noise in the championship. I looked at his numbers quickly. Seems to be doing well. He's just a tall Dutch 10 that they signed for like three mil in the summer. I think he bagged like 27 goals in the Netherlands. And he was an Ajax Academy boy after I looked into it more. 13 goals, two assists this season. By far their best player and also has a dope chant, which is pretty, pretty crucial, right? Yeah, we like those. And also, when I looked at the squad, they are very old. Uh, very. I feel like most are 29 or older. So should they make it via the playoffs to the Premier League? 
they're going to need to do uh, Nottingham Forest times 10 in terms of replacing this squad. Yeah, they might need, yeah, 30 new players. And stem cells. Um, yeah, the other guy that stood out to me was just a signing. Not a guy who's really played a lot yet, but Adomo Umaku. Yeah, pretty sure I got that spot on. But he's this 19-year-old Irish attacking midfielder come winger. But they signed him from Shamrock Rovers for 80K, right? I know nothing about this guy, but it tells me something when you're signing a guy from the Irish League for 80K. It feels like there has to be some smart recruitment department behind that that's taking their time to like find, scout, and decide on who to sign because you don't just stumble on a 19-year-old no. Irish kid. <laughs> no, you don't. So I think it's time to move on to the next section. We're going to do this little part for each club, I think, because we need to get a a feel for the club. And how do you do that? You look at their pitch, their stadium, you look at their owner, and you look at their kits and badges because all of these are important and crucial, in my opinion. 100%. Tell me a little bit about the infrastructure we got at Millwall in Bermondsey. So, yeah, great location of the stadium. Uh, Their stadium's called the Den. It's 20,000 capacity. I think it's usually pretty full. This is the second biggest stadium of the three on the list. In terms of their owner, right, they have this guy, John Burleson. He's this American businessman, uh, founder of Chestnut Hill Ventures, Harvard Business School. In my mind, you know, this is a classic East Coast elite, Boston, PE type of guy. Net worth seems a little uncertain, as it typically (laughs) is with those type of people, but... Uh, you know, hovering around 200 mil, it's a little poor for my taste, especially in the championship, but it's definitely not in like the bottom five of the league. No. And we're going to weigh all these criteria at the end, but just a live status report. Given how waspy this guy's background is, you must really be identifying with the ownership <laughs> right now. He must have been born in the same town you grew up in. Oh, my God. Anyways, moving on from that rude comment from Noah. Let's talk about the kits and badges because I do love the blue and white logo color scheme. I think I assume you've seen these before, but yep. uh, you know, for me, this is going to be familiar. I love a lion. I love the, <laughs> the, the blue and white. You used to love a lion. I used to. I mean, it's pretty basic, but it's got a classy look. And I think uh, you know this will translate well. Another thing I love, their home kit. They do the blue tops and the white shorts. And I don't know why I like the white shorts so much. I guess it's like I want to know whether or not my players have shat their pants, you know, in the middle of a game. It's a question every manager has at halftime. It's just a mill wall. They can finally have the correct evidence to verify. Yep, exactly. Speaking of chocolate, their sponsor is Husky Chocolate, um, which I'll be honest, it, it looks a little strange, but... I like their I like their home kit a lot. Their home kit's nice. You know, good logo, good badge. Yeah, anything else on this? I think we touched on a little bit, but wanted to emphasize again, these supporters are really known for being fucking hooligans historically. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I just... I'm worried, but also excited for you to possibly get caught up in the wrong crowd and, and setting shit alight that probably doesn't have a good underlying insurance policy. Yeah, th- this was my first initial worry. And I think part of the reason they're haters is because their hooligans are like insane, like in the news a lot, right? <laughs> I think there's different stands, so you can avoid it if you want, but you can also get in the mix. And uh, there's a hooligan movie, I forgot the name of it, uh, but it's like a classic movie, like every Brit has seen it. Some of the scenes where they're like lining up to do the, uh, you know, 
Civil War style like <laughs> line and charge at each other. Wait till you see the white of their eyes. Yeah, exactly. It's filmed like right outside the Millwall ground. Oh, like, perfect. One they, of those scenes. They didn't even need to hire them. No, they just no, set no, up no, the no, cameras. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not just because it's the first one we've ran through. That's an early favorite. I'd have to say. <laughs> but yeah, it's also a welcome change from uh, I'm sure like the pretty dead atmosphere you get at Chelsea. Like. It's supposed to be loud and really tough to play at. A mini Anfield, of yeah, sorts. Yeah, you don't get people, foreigners, flying in Emirates first class who want to go joust on medieval horses and alleys. <laughs> oh. Oh, let's keep it moving, though, because I've still got hope for these other squads, and maybe they might not have quite the hooligan depth on their bench, but there's probably other redeeming qualities. Let's take it next to Charlton Athletic who currently find themselves in the middle of the pack in League One, a.k.a. the third division in the English football pyramid. What can you tell me at Charlton Athletic? Because you wouldn't be surprised I dropped the ball on my research for them. (laughs) Not shocking at all. So Charlton Athletic are the biggest club on this list. And when I say biggest, this is a term commonly used in England to describe... (laughs) you know, a club that has history, more a club that has like a large fan base, right? So like there are sleeping giants like a a Sunderland Mm -hmm. or a Portsmouth who have massive like 30,000 plus stadiums and are considered sleeping giants because they're big clubs. Like there's a lot of Sunderland fans in England. And it's a great ESPN style discussion show argument of who is a bigger club, you know? Nothing quantitative, just feels, vibes, history, and... The argument never gets settled, and you can do it again the next day. A lot of vibes. You'll, you'll see it all the time. Are Manchester City now a bigger club than Man United? <laughs> it's so dumb and played out, but we love it nonetheless. It's indicative of British culture. Okay, but point stands of this list, Charlton Athletic, and that's how we got to say it, make Charlton one syllable. They're the biggest club on this list. Absolutely. So they play at the Valley, uh, which has a capacity of 27,000. So they are true, uh, you know, like... East London and pretty far east. So definitely the most far from the city. Okay. But yeah, just just some context. Still like not a bad neighborhood area, but definitely a little more out of the way. We got to talk about how they got to this position. Because like we said, huge fan base, nice stadium. How did they fall down this far from having success in the past and winning the FA Cup? We need to talk about a guy by the name of Roland Duchatelet. I think that was too good of a pronunciation for how horrible of an owner this guy was. Can you please bastardize that more for me? Yeah, sorry. Uh, Roland Duchatlet. <laughs> <laughs> he shouldn't be caught wearing white pants. <laughs> As listeners will be familiar with, not always the most well-researched show. Don't fact check us. That will be done in vain. But let's discuss based on the YouTube videos that both of us watched and try to come together for a common truth. And if you actually want to learn more about it, then go watch the Copa 90 10-minute video that we're referencing this whole time. Anyways, Roland Duchatelet, he bought the club, I believe, around like a decade ago? I think it was 2014. Okay. So about a decade ago, and I think they were very excited when he came in because they weren't in the best financial spot. They like needed to be bought. And yep. he came in as this like super wealthy... Belgian owner already owned like six other clubs, like Standard exactly. Liege, another Belgian Ujpest club in Hungary. Yeah, um, Alarcon, like some second division Spanish club at the time. So he seemed like the guy to come in. They were in poor financial condition, so 
anyone coming in to keep paying the bills is seen as a relative savior at the time. Yeah, I think they were excited because they're like, okay, this isn't an inexperienced guy who just like is having his midlife crisis and wants a club. Like he he's bought and like built up solid systems at other clubs. But what ended up happening is he treated Charlton as one of like the lower, lower tiers of teams in his portfolio, right? So when you have a multi-club ownership, let's say you have three to 10 clubs, there's a hierarchy, right? And there's like a loaning system and a transfer system that happens. So when the owner of RB Leipzig is also the owner of RB Salzburg, if Leipzig want one of the Salzburg players, they get first bid. And it's also a lower bid than you would get from any outside club. But the big fuck up for Roland here was English fans aren't used to seeing their clubs be cogs in the machine they used to be the top yeah they keep in mind this is the descendants of the royal british empire um the great colonizers who are used to just sacking other nations and peoples for their resources and enriching themselves so naturally the locals of charlton didn't take this too well yeah they didn't like this roland uh do Chatlet. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because Standard Liège, the Belgian club, was seen as the pinnacle. So that was just a big middle finger yeah. to them. Yeah. Anyways, he, he was a sketchy guy, had like government ties and just treated their club like a piece of shit. Never went to a game. I think he went to like one game in the decade he was an owner, which is a big no-no for fans, especially British fans. And so what happened is they started protesting, right? It started with beach balls getting thrown onto the pitch every single day. And then it turned into protests. They actually even built a coffin for Roland and they put it in front of the stadium and they're like, Roland, this is this is for you. <laughs> <laughs> How generous. <laughs> Custom so, fan made a hearse. Yeah, exactly. So you'd think like, wow, that would get through the owner. He'd definitely try to sell the club after that. But he wasn't even receiving these messages <laughs> or not even paying attention. He was still in Belgium just fucking around with his actual clubs he cares about. So they had to take it up another level. They coordinated with Belgians and they had like 10,000 Charlton fans fly out from England to Belgium and they like (laughs) rided like outside of his Belgian club and were like demanding that he sell the club. It got serious quick, but they knew what they wanted. They were like, we're too big of a club. We have too big of a fan base. This is too historic of a institution in our community for you to ruin and i respect that they asked for their club back and they got sold in the end i love this 21st century like what football occupies in british culture because looking back historically you know people want some not excuse but justified belief to do crazy shit And so that's what football clubs offer to like the hooligan type people or just super loyal fans who think they've been hard done by. You know, they used to have the Crusades where the Roman Empire would be like, yo, they're trying to take our holy land. Let's go fuck (laughs) up some people. And it's like a fun journey with the boys, you know, and they did horrible things. That that is what it says in the books, too. They're like, yo, (laughs) let's fuck up these people. Like, let's go hang with the boys. Yeah. (laughs) Nowadays... The modern world doesn't always provide for opportunities like that, except when a greedy Belgian billionaire like Roman de Chatlet comes in and occupies your club. Yeah, pretty unreal. They just had to take it to his backyard, as they said in the video, (laughs) which I love. But I think that's enough on Roland. So he was kind of the downfall of their club in many ways because he came in and then they just slowly dropped and dropped and dropped. And 
they were in trouble. And I think they dropped all the way down to League Two, if yep. I'm not mistaken. So yep. almost out of the professional divisions entirely. Then comes in Thomas Sandgard. So he bought the club in 2020 for eight and a half million pounds. Born and raised in Denmark, based out of Denver now. He's a CEO of Zynex, which is like this medical device company. Doesn't matter. He's a wealthy guy. He's done pretty well for himself in the healthcare space. Net worth of 500 mil, which I'm spoiling the next team, but he's by far the richest man on this list, and it's not even close, which is a big plus. And look, this is a lot of money for a League One club, like a lot to have at its disposal. But the important aspect is how much of that cash does he actually throw at the club? Because as we just saw with Roland, had a lot of money too, but he did not like spending it on Charlton. Uh Uh-uh, that was all for standard Liège. What I'll say about Thomas, and not to get political here, we should have more immigrants generally, but any person from Denmark that wants to come to America should be allowed. <laughs> it's a guaranteed visa. Yeah, it's, it's got to be a guarantee. They're just great, happy people. Did a little looking into his business, Zynex, which sounds suspiciously like Xanax. <laughs> what I'll tell you about Thomas is he clearly isn't satisfied with just $500 million to his net worth because okay. of the 150 jobs available at this company, 99% of them were in sales. And I'm talking every locale across this country from Mobile, Alabama to Maine up to Seattle. He's trying to employ more Americans since any president not named Teddy Roosevelt. So... You throw a little job application in? I I didn't yet. I want to see where your fandom landed before I can try to trap uh, these electrotherapy devices, which, who knows, he could be the next Elizabeth Holmes, but if he turns Charlton around, it doesn't fucking matter, and we'll watch that doc as well. Now, this all sounds great so far, but let's talk about some of the issues surrounding his three-year tenure as an owner. So... First and foremost, he pulled the most classic rich owner move and appointed his son, Martin, as the (laughs) director of football analysis, despite having, as you guessed, no football experience. Yes. (laughs) Similar to our friend Evangelos Marinakis of Vorce. We respect it, but... We know where this impulse comes from. It's one we hope to capitalize on in the future. Whether it's your actual dad or like Rasmus Ankerson, though he earned it, you have to find your Serbian billionaire figurative dad find someone that likes you and hope you get a job that the market wouldn't have otherwise given you it's fair the second issue that came up is he tried to rename the charlton women's team which apparently is a pretty good team to the charlton ladies which the fa just immediately shut down they were like fuck no you can't name them the charlton ladies i don't know how problematic this was but Apparently, it was a weird thing to do in your first season as an owner. I like to think his heart was in the right place, but weird move. Last thing I would add for Mr. Sangard, he apparently changed the team's pre-match walkout song. You shared a video of it with me, and he's just walking around the perimeter of the pitch, and what a visual it is. This is clearly his manifestation of a midlife crisis. There's more lip syncing or guitar syncing in this video than a Super Bowl halftime show. He's just gallivanting around and spending more time fist bumping than actually stroking the chords. But the music never fades, so explain that, Thomas. It's a pretty hilarious video. I, w- <laughs> I highly recommend checking it out, even if you just watch it for 20 seconds. It's just ridiculous seeing this like owner trying to be the rock star CEO playing electric guitar. 
<laughs> yeah, not only do you get to own the club, but like he's also living out that rock star dream he's always had. Yeah, I think just to round things out on our, our Dane here, Thomas Sangard, he was very well received at first. Anyone was going to be better than Roland, but I think people are starting to doubt some of the decisions he's made. With that all said, though, he's got a lot, a lot of money in that bank account. <laughs> so a lot of money in that bank account for League One, especially. So that's important. Let's talk very briefly about a couple other things on the list. Kits badges, I love them. This is like an 8 out of 10 for me. This is probably my favorite on the list. They got the famous sword logo, recognizable to any casual fan. And the red, black, white color scheme, it's, it's classy. They're sponsored by Castore now. A little sexy. I like it. So we've talked some owners, uh, more organizational background. Big club, as we talked about. But there's a young player that is catching your eye. I know you haven't watched a match yet, but just in your spreadsheet, you're really, just based on your spreadsheet's output, you're really interested in one of these young players. Yeah, I think they have a good squad, very young, average age like 24, but this one guy jumped out to me, Miles Lieburn. He's a 19-year-old British striker, six foot five, came through the academy, and he basically snagged the starting position this year, it seems like, about halfway through the season. He's had 11 goals and two assists in 30 games. If you don't know much about the lower leagues of English football, there's not a lot of goals scored, generally. So getting like 15 to 20 in a season is pretty impressive and will have like a lot of people have their eyes on you. But scoring 11 at 19, that's promising in my mind. Regardless of where your fandom ends up, I think... We got to track Miles and possibly lobby if you don't end up choosing Charlton, your new owners, your new daddy, to bring him into the club. That's definitely true. Should we move on to our last club? Let's do it. Taking it last down to League Two, the fourth division, Leighton Orient. Let me just give a little background on their fall down the ladder. Another redemption play here, if you so choose them. They're founded in 1881 as a cricket club, started playing football seven years later. At least a YouTube video I watched and didn't fact check said they're the second oldest London club, so that's a little class there. Not unlike many teams in English football, they've underwent various name and organizational changes in the first half of the 1900s before settling on Leighton Orient. I think I counted at least five name changes here, including an initial start as Leighton Orient, then Orient FC, then back to Leighton Orient. So a little bit like that Michael Scott vasectomy bit, snip, snap, unsnip. My grandpa actually calls them Oriental FC. <laughs> oh, God. I <laughs> hate to share that mine probably does as well, and he hates football, among other things. A little bit more about their background and where they've operated in the football structure. They've historically hovered between the fourth and second tiers, but... Things went very awry for them quickly when their new owner, Francesco Bacchetti, bought the club in 2014. This table in front of me provides some context. At the time of purchase, they were in third place, just missing out on promotion behind current Premier League teams, Wolves and Brentford. So, And like other good teams around them too, like Sheffield United, you know? Yeah, so it's always fun as an aside looking at historical tables because you'll see right? Current teams that were down there in the lower levels, but also teams you've never heard of that have since fallen down. Yeah. It's kind of an indicator of like, okay, so what happened here? <laughs> like who had good owners who didn't, you know, who had good uh, directors who didn't. Exactly. I'll spare you some details, but this guy was hated probably as much as Roland was at Charlton. He oversaw two relegations in three years that saw them drop 
out of the fourth division into the fifth, out of the football league, which is a really big deal. Don't have all the details on the protest, but instead of throwing balls on the pitch, everyone towards the end just started dressing like clowns. Wish they would have built a casket for him, but I'm not sure. Kind of like Evangelos Marinakis at Nottingham Forest. You probably don't have the raw materials to build a casket that big. (laughs) (laughs) But luckily, as Charlton did with Roland, they chased him out of town, got a new owner, Nigel Travis, and this guy seems to be getting them on the straight and narrow. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, he definitely seems well-liked. He was the former Dunkin' Donuts CEO of 12 years, former CEO of Papa John's, and he also was the Blockbuster COO. And we're not talking Blockbuster and their downfall. We're talking like heyday, late 90s, early 2000s. Okay, so this guy was a smooth operator. He has... He's an American dude. He has quite the corporate track record. Uh, very impressive. Seems like a well-spoken guy in interviews. Net worth around 150 to 200 mil from what I can gather. You know, definitely the lowest on this list, but respectable for a team in League 2 climbing up the ladder. But they might need some more money pumped in at a certain point. Realizing now he was not American, just decided to pursue that career. But he's British, actually. Okay, which... I want to say something because I don't know a lot of Americans named Nigel. <laughs> Yeah, I I fucked that one up, but we move. It's a big plus that he's British, honestly. And, uh, you know, a lifelong late Norrit fan as well, which is definitely not true of anyone else on this list, being a lifelong fan of that club. Could be you. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Fans seem to absolutely love him after their last owner almost bankrupted them into non-existence. So they're just happy with him, and they're happy with how the team's performing right now. They're at the top of League Two. Clear by 10 points last time I checked. So the boys are getting promoted. That's exciting. You know, you just got to hope next year you can build on that success. People who try to move up the ladder too fast are usually the ones who just go full bankruptcy mode. It's like all about like, okay, we're at the next level. We got to stabilize. From what I heard from Nigel Travis, that's what his plan is. We're going to slowly build this thing up until we're like actually a financially sustainable club. And he seems rational. I don't know if it's just my affinity for Dunkin' Donuts that is driving this bias, but we're not going to see Nigel walking around the perimeter of the field playing his guitar. He's focused on more important things, not running a medical sales company. Nigel's just focused on getting this team up the ladder. And what's great about football is given enough time, it feels like the karma balances out. So they're going up this year. Bichetti, the former owner, oversaw two relegations in three years. I'm feeling two promotions in three years to balance it back out. Okay. Kind of like this year, as an aside, Leicester, right? They had the crazy Premier League winning season against the odds. I'm hoping for them to get relegated this year to balance that out. Mm. It kind of has to. It kind of has to. So maybe the same energy is at play here for Leighton Orient. Oh, and also, you fucked up thinking Nigel was American. I fucked up not mentioning that Francesco, as of February of this year, was sentenced by Albania for 17 years in prison. He's not there, so it's like called in absentia. But if they ever get their Albanian paws on him, he's going to jail for 17 years, allegedly and respectfully, for something that I would chalk up to as like organized crime, money laundering vibe. So, well, if we were doing the power rankings of the places I would least like to go to jail, Albania might be in my top three. Yeah, I would think their money laundering unit has a high hit rate when it comes to convictions. <laughs> One last thing on them 
I think this is probably my favorite badge. They got the two little red dragons. I love her little red-white color scheme. And this was a cool story. So Harry Kane was a former Leighton Orient striker way back in the day when he was a teenager. And since they've been in financial ruin and like people even donate money at their games now, he sponsored the club's kits for the last few years. And it seems like he's going to continue to do that. Uh, and the money like goes to a charity and also to the football club to help it sustain itself. So kind of a cool story. Yeah. Full circle. Love to see it. I'm no stranger when gathering information related to diligence to doing some weirder methods, but I checked out the open positions because I think if you can get in or at least interview with someone, that's going to provide some of the best evidence sure. at, at the ground level. And so I only saw two positions open. All right. I think both are great opportunities for you and could be your initial tickets to London. But first, match day assistant, pretty common role, something you're very organized, type A, you'd be great at, but I think your skill set's a little higher probably more suited towards the second role, which is the Academy minibus driver. <laughs> Let me run down quickly a few interesting requirements for this position. You need to have experience towards the, quote, audit process in the Academy. So not only are you going to be driving a bus, but you're going to be helping out in their audits. But also... <laughs> <laughs> Also, no, this is really important. Another requirement is extensive experience working across all levels in the professional game. So oh, if you're going to drive their fucking minibus, we want to see Premier League football director possibly on your resume as well. I'm so confused. I have so many questions. So you're buying to be this bus driver, right? And they're like, oh, have you ever done an audit before? <laughs> And then the second question they ask you, like, oh, yeah, you, you've coached before? You know some facts? Like, <laughs> what is a back five and why would you use that over a 4 4 2? Yeah, they're quizzing you on like the Dutch tactics of the 90s. Like, I don't, I don't understand any of this. And also, what's a minibus? Is this like a, a Brinks truck? Are they trying to train you for their future ambitions? I was familiar with a minibus growing up. It's how I got to school, but I think it's quite different from the minibus the academies are rocking these days. <laughs> So that's my last little gem there. I think that could be a great pathway if we choose Leighton Orient for you. <laughs> Whipping that bus. You're going to be on the other side of the road, driving on the other side of the car. In addition to settling in a new country in other ways, <laughs> I think this could be a great platform if you know you get a felony in the next few years and don't quite transfer the finance industry as expected. <laughs> You know, you're you're a really good friend. You've always had my best <laughs> interests at heart. Um, so I, I appreciate you scouting the, the job market for me. All right. This has already gone on far too long, which I'm sure we will cut down into a reasonable time on post. But I think we just have to go quick through them, pros, cons. And then I really want you to give me almost like a, a top three, one, two, three of which club you think I should choose. Oh, God. And like LeBron's The Decision, we're making the choice here live on this podcast. All right, let's do it. Let's run through the pros from Millwall. Best location of the three, cool neighborhood. Highest level football on this list. You've got it as a pro. Again, if we're embracing this working class vibe, it almost feels like a con here. Biggest pro of them all, I hate to see it third, Hooligans in rowdy crowds. I think this is going to be a huge point of contention. I've got a problem with your first con here. One of the most hated clubs in England. 
I think this would be good for you, building adversity. And as far as the squad itself, right? A bit older, not necessarily the most eye-watering brand of football. Appreciate you taking some of the talking from me. Let's move to the next one. I mean, Leighton Orient, I think the big pros are just like growth, climbing up the ladder. That's pretty exciting. And it's a very classic underdog feel-good story of a club that went from pretty high up in the leagues to falling down and now climbing their way back up. Kind of like a Wrexham almost. They should make a series out of this. The other big thing I've heard and read online is that they're like universally loved in the city. Like a lot of people in London describe Leighton as their second team because they're all like rooting for them to get out of their shitty situation they found themselves in. Opposition fans will even like donate to the cause at games. So they go around with like a, what do they, what do they call it in church uh, when they collect like your money after they preach at you offering is it called offering yeah no the charlie's family offering basket yeah yeah exactly uh that's what it's called (laughs) but even like opposition fans will give money to them just to help them out from like not going bankrupt and lastly their owner just seems loved has the full support of the fan base which we can't say for the other two guys and the way he conducts himself you know he doesn't want to try and change the club or the culture he grew up a fan not the richest owner but probably the smartest and most trustworthy and the ones I trust to make the best football and business decisions. Okay, I like it. So that's Leighton Orient. Cool badge as well with the Dragons or Argyles, whatever we're calling those things. Yeah, quick cons, much smaller club, obviously, and 10,000 seats, smaller stadium. So it'll be a little more of a family feel, but, you know, we could make it work. Moving on, Charlton Athletic, biggest club on the list, massive stadium, Richest owner of the three, so we can sell ourselves a version of the future that involves bankrolling by a sugar daddy, something you're not unfamiliar with. Cons, though, the worst location based on your research? Yeah, pretty far east, uh, probably the worst, which, you know, it's not horrible depending on where I end up living, but it it could be bad if I live uh, a little closer to central London. And lastly, when you get involved with a club so far down, albeit it's only third division here, there's the chance that they just stay down there. And once the shine of, you know, this whole hipster decision we're really making right now wears off, you could just be left supporting a League One or, in a downside scenario, National League club. You know, Wrexham will have surpassed you, and you're still going to be down in National League not being able to watch your team on TV. Yep, that's a scary possibility with Charlton and Leighton, I yeah. would say. Yep. Um, yeah, just mediocrity or just going backwards, right? But I think that's the risk I got I to gotta take. Is it time? I, I, I need you to give me a, a one, two, three before I can confidently decide. In third place, while I do love the possibility of you supporting a huge club, the biggest club on this list in Charlton Athletic, the fact that they've spent seven of the last like 30 years in the Premier League or top division, that concerns me. So I'm going to put them third, second, Leighton Orient. I like the owner. I like you having to, at least for the rest of this season, having to be a fan of a club in League Two. This theme of humility and adversity I'm realizing is weighing heavily in my decision. I'd like to see you support them. I like the growth arc. Don't love the fact, though, that they're universally loved in this city. Given the two options of having you walking down an alley as the American, confronting a group of big burly strangers and having them 
give you a pat on the back or slap you silly, I would choose the latter and hope <laughs> it maybe gets even a little more brutal. So for that reason, I'm going to choose Millwall, all right? Though you might initially get seen as an outsider, I think the beatings there are more like initiation. And the hooligans that they have in store, once you take that first ass kicking, you're going to be one of them. And it's selfish. I just want to see that story arc for you of going to England, thinking it's for a few years, thinking you're going to stay this refined American that embraces some of the finer things in British culture. But really, you just become a grimy Millwall fan that's a hooligan. The one caveat I'll have, though, is none of that shit's going to fly for me if they get promoted this season. I can't have you swapping a Premier League club for a Premier League club. That's my piece. 3-2-1. Goes Charlton, Leighton Orient, Millwall. But, LeBron James, it's time for the decision. You've got links to all these clubs' merchandise sitting in front of you. You've got them in your cart. Which one are you going to press purchase on? All right. I've come to a decision. I am going to go with Leighton Orient. Wow. I love the owner. I feel like I would love the fan base. It's a nice small community. I could get to know some people, get some cheap season tickets, great location right near West Ham. There you just got a lot of things going for him. So I am now, I literally, I'm buying it right now, buying some merch already, and uh, I'm becoming a Leighton Orient fan. You better be worried about seeing the Millwall fans in the street. That's all I'm going to say. They better be worried about seeing us. Okay. It might be a family stadium, but I've also (laughs) seen some videos of flares and fights, so... Fair play, Don't man. Don't get it twisted. Fair play. Charlie's coming out swinging, putting up the chickens. <laughs> Charlie, again, I just want to reiterate. Very brave of you. It's not easy to renounce a club that you've put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into with Chelsea. But I think we have to normalize this. You know, We're just getting to the point in America where people understand the importance of mental health. It's time that we get to the point where you can switch your club allegiance. And though the greater English society probably will have some words with that. If you want this whole international viewership thing to keep growing, you've got to make some concessions with the Americans. And this is only the tip of the icebergs as far as us switching our allegiances. Well, I appreciate that. I know you're probably in a transition period with your club as well. So maybe we need to do a similar episode to figure out your issues. Um, Maybe we'll bring in a therapist for that one. Um, <laughs> with all that said, I'm, I'm excited for my new club. I'm going to buy some merch. I'm going to learn the chance and, uh, you know, just prepare myself to get rowdy in the stands of my new team stadium. So congratulations, Charlie. Thank you. This was great. And thank you all for listening to this excessively long episode. As always, we love you guys. Love you guys. Bye. <laughs>